Hey guys, brand new podcast. I am in London. London. Let me turn off this other mic. London. I'm sitting with my wife. She will not be talking on this read, but we are sitting together in London. I've got a show tonight at 10.30 at the Bill Murray. To all the London fans who hit me up on Twitter, I apologize. Um, I, I did not expect I did not expect to sell any tickets here. I did not expect to do a show. And when I did it, I picked too small of a venue uh, for uh, what was probably just above the demand. I think we probably could have sold maybe 300 tickets, maybe 200, but so I apologize. Um, I'm going to come back. I'm coming back to London. I promise you that because I've had a really great time. I did an amazing podcast today with a guy named Al Murray. I'll be releasing that next week. If you get a chance, go online and watch Al Murray. Um, It's the Pub Landlord Americans I'm saying that because if I hadn't heard of him until this, then you may not have. And you should watch it before we do this interview because it, he is really funny. Watch the one where he breaks down the um, the world. He, it's one where he's got a big globe in his hand and he breaks down the world. It's fucking funny as shit. And it's a gr- we did a, like a two-and-a-half-hour podcast today. Um, so, yeah, uh, other tour dates. Comedy Off-Broadway was last month. Uh, Laugh Out Loud San Antonio is my first week back in the States, the 23rd to the 25th, San Antonio for the first time. Felipe Esparza is there that weekend too. I'm not trying to sell tickets for Felipe, but I've got to be honest with you. I'd do a two-show week that week and go see Felipe too. I'm going to try to hang out with Felipe and do something fun with him. Healing in Portland the weekend after that, those shows are definitely going to sell out. So if you are in Portland, get those tickets now. Uh, Call and Sick to Work show in D.C. on the 10th is sold out. Uh, it sold out in a minute, everybody, and I brought that up to uh, to my podcast guest today. Not this one. This is this is a good podcast guest, but the one, whatever. I'm rambling. Richmond Funny Bone that weekend, just Friday, Saturday. So two shows Friday, two shows Saturday in Richmond, um, Columbus, Ohio, St. Patty's Day, call in sick to work show. Let it flow. Let it. That's not how the song goes. Um, I'm saying let it flow because we are going to be drinking pretty hard that week. Uh, and those tickets, those, that show sold out last year. It'll sell out again now, so get your tickets for this Columbus St. Patty's Day. Omaha Funny Bone at the end of the month. Uh, Wise Guys Salt Lake City. Huntsville. Huntsville? Huntsville. Wild West Comedy Show in Nashville on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of April. Calgary. Then Detroit. That's when the Detroit show is. It is... April, May, April, May, May 4th. I haven't even set up the Kickstarter. I'll get on it. Um, I have really exciting news. Uh, I am in London right now, and waiting in my house are coolers full of Blue Apron. I am so... Leanne just pumped her fist. I'll let Leanne get in on this if you want to talk, Leanne. Hang on. Um, So we've used Blue Apron in the past. I got it through Joe. I heard it on Rogan's podcast, and so I ordered it, and we loved it. The thing I love about Blue Apron is cooking is simple. All you have to do is follow the instructions, use the ingredients, 
and you can make a fantastic meal. That's how foodnetwork.com works. You go online, you re-download the thing. The thing that sucks is making that list out and going to the grocery store and hoping you didn't forget anything and then getting home, you're like, God damn it, I didn't get cumin. Well, that's what Blue Apron makes is simple. They give you all your ingredients, all your portion sizes, all their seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. The beef, the chicken, the pork come from responsibly raised animals. Produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. Listen, they can deliver to 99% of the continental U.S. and 99.5% of food desserts because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient before required for each recipe. It's thus, actually... A food desert. Oh, really? Not dessert. <laughs> because Blue, Blue Apron ships the exact amount of ingredients required for the recipe. They're reducing food waste. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> but you can follow a recipe like a mofo. I, this is why I need Blue Apron. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm pumped because... I think I think cooking is a really cool thing to do with your family. I know that Leanne and I, as how we kind of like fell in love, was we would make dinners together. That's right. And you know the problem with having kids is things get so chaotic that you don't get to have those moments where you guys all make dinner together. And so I am so pumped for when we get home that we are that we're going to get to make dinner together, the whole family. And you know another good thing about Blue Apron is you can specify what you do and don't like. So. Our kids don't really eat fish, so for us to have fish from Blue Apron doesn't make a lot of sense. So you can say, you well, know, one of our kids eats fish, one of them, and does. luckily that's why they've got the crispy Bramundi. Bramundi? Yes. Did Bramundi. I say that right? Bramundi. Yes. Bramundi with quinoa roasted carrot salad. That's a pile as the salad is. But the uh, roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad, everybody will eat. And let me tell you something, Blue Apron. By the way, this is the other great part is that when I go to Gelson's and I and I buy groceries and I buy food for our family, I spend a minimum every trip of a hundred dollars. A minimum every time. Every time I over fucking buy. I don't just buy the amount we need. I buy ten times more. And the coolest part is you're spending under $10 a person for each delicious meal. With Blue Apron. Yes. And and here's the other thing that I'm so excited about. They've got this udon noodle soup with miso and a soft-boiled egg. Dude, that is one of my favorite things in the entire world is when you put a soft-boiled egg on anything. And if you show me Blue Apron how to incorporate soft-boiled eggs into recipes, I will be putting soft-boiled eggs with that miso soup dressing on everything. I love soft-boiled eggs. Cashew chicken stir-fry. Look, you know what's cool? Get Blue Apron for a friend. If you have a friend, that's what we, my sisters got it for my parents. And it changed their freaking lives. They had a brand new kitchen and they were scared to cook in it because my dad's OCD and he didn't want to spill anything over there. And so they got him Blue Apron and what? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out this week's menu and get your first three f- meals free. With free shipping, go to blueapron.com slash BurtCast. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That is blueapron.com slash BurtCast. Blue Apron.
A better way to cook. A better way to cook. No, I was trying to brand it. Oh, a better way to cook. Blue Apron. A better way to cook. I'm hoping they'll, you know, that that'll be their stamp. Um. So yeah. So and I'm being serious. When I, you know, uh, when I started incorporating ads into this podcast, I wanted uh things I use. And uh, and you know, I'm on the road a lot. Leanne's got the two girls, two dogs, one cat, three chickens, and this shit fills in perfect into our family so get it try it out go to blueapron.com slash bert and get your get three meals just get them what 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 the fuck just get them they're free all right today's guest uh as i get ready for my show in london tonight um today's guest is a guy that i have known for a very long time uh i've known him probably almost 12 years 10 years i met him when they were auditioning people for love line and I was, I just, we, I, I think we ended up talking about it, but I wasn't auditioning. I was just going in to do the show and we had such a great time. He offered, he asked me to come back the next day. And on that first show, someone called from my class in Ru- in my Russia class and said, Hey, can you please get Bert to tell the story about the time he robbed us on the train? And Dr. Drew was blown away. And I told that story for the very, very, very first time ever that evening on Loveline. And he said, come back the next night, and I would please like you to tell that story again. And I told, came back the next day, and I told it again. And I have since told it on, on Elliot in the Morning, Cowhead, WDVE, uh, Monsters in the Morning. I, I, I told it in very few different places. And then I told it on Joe Rogan, and it had changed. it changed my career. So this man... I believe is somewhat responsible for that that change in motion in my career, and and I attribute that to him, and I really do consider him a good friend, and it is a pleasure to have him on my podcast. If you don't know who he is, then quite honestly, you need to crawl out of from under the rock you live in, because live under because uh, he has been a staple of our uh, of our collective unconscious in this country for the past thirty years, I think. Um, from celebrity rehab, from celebrity sex rehab, I think he had one of those, from Loveline, from uh, On Call with Dr. Drew, from his podcast, uh, This Is Life with Bob Forrester, which I did. And I, that was a great episode, by the way. I had a lot of fun on that. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Dr. Drew. This is the Hello? All right, let's check. Grab that mic, Drew. Would you? Tell us one, two, one, two. All right, I'll see you, babe. I should probably turn off diners, drive-ins, and dives. Why? I'm I'm obsessed with this show. Really? Oh yeah, because I'll end up. Yeah, I love him. I love him. Yeah. He's uh, he's. You know what he is? He is what you think he is. In real life. In real life. I, I don't think I've ever met him. I don't th- maybe I met him early in his career or something. He, but yeah, he's exactly what he looks he like. He is what he thinks yeah. he what like every every little We're talking about Guy Fieri. You want oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. tell your want to tell your audience what we're doing? Yeah, we're talking about Guy Fieri, but uh he I, I absolutely love him. I did guys uh guys grocery games. <laughs> I did it with Lonnie Love and Tammy Pescatelli, and the three of us thought we were gonna be judges. We didn't realize we were cooking. <laughs> and that's awesome. It was you could see it in Lonnie's <laughs> eyes when she was like, Oh shit. <laughs> oh but my god. Lonnie's great. Lonnie and I went to a wedding together as dates and fucking tore it up. You know Lonnie? 
Lana is my boo. What the fuck are you talking are you about? Serious? You dated my boo. I'm so oh, pissed yeah. off. What the hell? Did she was supposed to take me, man. Did you see her light up Amy Schumer on uh, on cultural appropriation? No, what happened? It's really interesting. Well, I didn't know what cultural appropriation was. I didn't. I had no clue. But it, I've been guilty of it my entire life. Uh, it's, you know, it's. Uh, I guess Amy sang this uh, Beyonce song. Yeah, she shot a video with it with Goldie Hawn. And uh, black women were pissed because that song meant a lot to black women. It's I don't know the name of the song. Would it would it have been? I, I, I understand cultural appropriation, but it kind of it. I, I always worry. I'm gonna. I, I always. I just want to play by the rules. You know what I mean? I'm. And so I'm, whenever we get in these conversations, I get very curious. Yeah. So, so if she had checked beforehand or talked to somebody, she actually asked Beyonce, but right. that didn't matter. Oh. It's the I I don't the name of the song is maybe Formation or something, yeah. but it's a it, it is a song that specifically talks to black women. And is it the way she did it messed it up too? I guess because yeah. she had people of color, but she. What did Lonnie say? What did Lonnie say? I don't know, but she started crying, <gasps> and it I'm was like car. it was real. And then I ran into Lonnie the very next day. We did guys grocery games, and she was talking to me about it, and oh. I didn't know what cultural appropriation was. There's so it's so funny. I uh, I'm that way too. Like I kind of. St- like I've been really fascinated by the internet lately and just how many people I feel almost enjoy that Trump's president because it allows them to rage. Well, it, I think people have felt sort of walking on eggshells for so long, yeah. you know, that, that trying to be PC and then being told they're bad, <sighs> that they are just, it just, they're now the, you know, the pendulum swinging now, now it's coming out. Oh, it's, I, it's so crazy. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of like, um, so, I don't know if this is the right thing, but like I used to follow a lot of feminists because I liked hearing opposing views, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm not a feminist. My are super feminist, but like I like hearing the I, I like hearing where they're coming from. Oh, you like, are you you super moderate, right? I'm I'm right. I'm not like Adam, and I'm not like Joe. Like I think Joe and Adam know they're, their opinions. They're right. <laughs> they're yeah, right. I, I'm super moderate. I, I can be yeah. persuaded of a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on the yeah, fence. I want, right. I'm, uh, dude, don't even. My my whole therapy session last week was about. I have a problem with uh, boundary va- validation, <laughs> and I need people to like me. <laughs> Fucking and so so is, if, if you just like I I, I I have a history of that kind of stuff too, but I don't think that's why I'm so persuasive. Persuadable. I I think I'm genuinely like interested in other people's points of view and i, I want to understand them i want to be a part of them i want to not co-opt them but like appreciate them you know i want to get like like when you say topple the hierarchy or the patriarchy i i want to know what that means and i want to know why you feel that and i yeah. go i go i'm curious i think it's also being a comic you know um you got to f- you whatever opinion you have then you go okay probably there are a lot of people that agree with that let me take the other opinion yeah and then go let me look at it from the other side and see if i can work it backwards um but then i don't really do that type of comedy a lot anymore Mm. i feel like now i just am really just storytelling like almost to the point where it's like so specifically me that i don't i mean i don't i don't like political stances i don't just well, I have a story because I came in here with a head of steam a little bit. I'm reacting to your house. Yeah. So I love your wife. I, I've I've liked your wife. I'm increasingly like impressed with her, like her more than where I yeah. get to know her. But just now, she sent me back in to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I walked in. I was allowed to walk through your bedroom. I thought, oh, my wife would never allow this. And, and your and your bedroom, your bedroom is fine. It looks like a bedroom where somebody lives. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. My wife would have had to have like a team of surgeons go in oh, there. Oh, seriously? And, and clean. It. And but <laughs> but hang on. So now I get to your toilet, which is kind of open. I thought 
cool. She lets me like pee right here, but we're right in the open. Yeah. But but there's a couple of items there. Is there a shit in the toilet? <laughs> no, no, it's paper, but not shit. But but there was a squatty potty. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm like, hmm. That's the other thing we're yeah. down to going for. And then, and do everybody know what a squatty potty is? Oh it's, yeah. It's a burkin shit with his knees up in his face. Oh, it's the best. I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's changed the way I shit. So anyway, that was there. I thought then you have one of those electronic like bidets, like those ass squirter things. It changed my life. Okay. When that first came around, the first time I ever saw that was at what's now the London Hotel. It was some other, I forget what it was called, the Regal, Regal Royal back in the day. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. When London was called the Regal Royal. And and only they only made those things in Japan. Yeah, that's where I found them. That's right. And so we got there, and it was Corolla and I 20 years ago, and he made me come down to his room and look at it. He oh. was like, I have to have this. This changed my life. It's the greatest thing in the world. He said his, I don't know if you're, you're kind of a hairy person, but he's a super hairy person down in that yes, area. Yes, He said before that, it was like trying to take peanut butter out of a carpet. By the yeah. shag carpet. No, it's <laughs> totally <laughs> true. What would happen was, is okay, my thing was, I shit my pants a lot. Like, I, like. Like, because you're, you're drinking? What, no, what? no, no, no. Just like, just like, I just. You leak? No, like, I, I just have, like, I have, a, I have an obsession right now with hot sauce. And so I'm eating the oh, spiciest hot sauces yeah, yeah. in the so, world. So you're actually getting like irritation. Oh, yeah. There, yeah. But that just, it just hoses it down. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then you just pat dry. I'm almost hands free. I love it. it. Segura's got one. Tom Segura's got one too. And he's like, it changed my life. He's got one. He got the next level one where he you press a button and the seat comes up for you oh. and it mists. Oh. And so, oh, it's just is amazing. But I had him in Japan and I loved it. Yeah. And I was like, I, I told my wife, I said, the only thing I want out of this house is I want that seat. And she was like, Ugh. is that your own personal toilet? That's or? my personal toilet. So she doesn't use that. No, no, she uses it. But it just, it just, it just, it said Bert. Uh, it, well, let me tell you something. Now the girls are obsessed with it. The girls love it. Uh, What's well, a bidet? I mean, it's the uh, people, best. Yeah. I mean, the Europeans aren't stupid. Oh, I never could understand the intimate washers, like What's the ones that, that it, it's like a bidet, but it's just a sink next to the toilet. It doesn't yeah, that, shoot up. I don't understand that at all. I th- that's in, like that's if you don't want to take a bath or a shower, you just want to clean your cubic hair or something. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. By the way, I've I've done that. Ah. <laughs> I uh, we were uh, on a cruise with my buddy Cowhead, and he they had one in his thing. Cowhead. And he goes, "What is from, this from and, Bubba?" Yeah, how do you know Cowhead? Because when he was, I've known him since he left Bubba, and I knew from him back Bubba. in Bubba. And you, I, you know, right now he's fucking in his car, losing his mind <laughs> from <laughs> Bubba. Well, no, he knows that I know. He yeah. was there when when I I was a guest on that show many many years ago, and Bubba was the I mean, and Cowhead was sort of the color guy. Yeah, yeah. He's been doing it on and his own And then they started for, feuding. And oh, they're going through and, big and then, feuds right and now. And they got, Cowhead got mad at me or Mike or something. Mike Catherwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, I got nothing but good feelings for all those guys. Yeah. <laughs> they're only good things. He does a cruise every year that me and Ralphie go on. Ralphie. And, uh, Ralphie May. And, I, uh, I know your friends. I, yeah. so I've got to come, do your, come spend more time with you. I, I love Ralphie May. Oh, yeah. He's he, great. Do, were you at the uh, – Kevin and Bean did a thing at the um, – they do that April Foolishness thing. Yeah. You ever do that? They ever, uh, do that? Um, no, I have not. He, he did it at the shrine, and he killed so badly. It was unbelievable. I, mean, he, I talked to him the next day, and he was like, yeah, it's something. When the audience really at that size he, really goes. He has the ability to do these. As, uh, very few comics I know can do it, but just almost like jab jokes that just get you on the ropes well, and, and but he and then it's almost like he hypnotized the like there are waves going through the audience and he times it just so oh. that the audience just starts div- it just starts 
it's like a wave that gets more and more intense. It's he so was weird. someone that pointed out sometimes I, I have a like um I, I don't know if it's it's just base ignorance like that I think most Americans have, but like once <laughs> but but right, Corolla does that on an individual level. He'll, he'll he'll come at you with with punches until he has you laughing like on the ground. Oh, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that so much with the big audience. He does it with the individual. He'll just keep at you, at you, at you too, until you're just like you're, you're you're crying for mercy. He uh, Ralphie did this one bit uh, about having a medium sized dick. Yeah, and what what a big dick does to women's vaginas. And it was it. He had me rolling, and he just had joke after joke. He maybe had ten jokes. Just punch. punch oh punch. man, your your pussy's gonna look like a horse reaching for a car, sugar cubes lips. Just and, and only he, well, just, the way he says it with that southern accent and stuff. But you're saying like in most Americans, what? You so Ralphie and I were on a flight one time, and he read a whole book in a four hour flight. Whoa. And I was like, "How did you do that?" And he's like, "I like reading." I was like. You didn't strike me as a reader. And he goes, why? Because I'm fat? <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Did you know that ever since I lost weight, I stopped farting? You? Yeah, like I don't fart anymore and well, I don't Because you're not eating as much. You know, you're, is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. When you eat less, your system is less. It's like stress. Is farting a sign of gaining weight? No, I think it's more the burden you're putting on your colon, right? The really? The bacteria having to grow. Oh, and I used break. to fart, like rip farts when I woke up. And uh, and I have I your wife must love that. I, <laughs> uh, she came in the other day. She goes, it smells like breath in here. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, it's because I was breathing in here. She's like, it's disgusting. Open up the windows. <laughs> smells like breath. Um, but she, of, yeah, she. I go middle of the night. She'll poke me. Stop breathing. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> you know what's so funny? I see a very different side of Adam. Not to like go back to this. Adam I, yeah. Just a very di- like a very. It's so funny is that I'm sure you probably see this too, oh. but like. The one inter- – I mean, I've had a, maybe a couple interactions with him, but the one interaction I have with him, he was just the sweetest, kindest guy. Like, yes. The yeah, radio he, personality he can was – be that. Yes, yes. Like, Sometimes. We were, we were at, uh, at his show. He did my podcast, and, but we did it over there. And I didn't know if he was going to have Mangria, and I don't drink and drive, so I took an Uber over. And he was like, oh, let me drive you home. Same thing you did. You remember when you drove me home that yeah, one yeah, time? Yeah, And he goes, let me drive you home. And I was like – I was like, oh, I, I'm like, that intimacy freaks me out. I was like, I can't. I didn't say that, but I was like, sure. And then got in the car with him, and he was just the nicest. Yeah, well, he, it's funny. His uh, he's still gruff and aggressive, and has all that stuff about him. But yeah. but he can. There's a really sweet side to him, and it's funny. His friends Chris and Ray, who are like the guys he always talked about, super aggressive and beat the shit out of him when he was a kid. Yeah. Literally one time, I, I literally. <laughs> well, this is the you know, like, what's that high pitched sound? Do you hear that? No. Well, good. Maybe I, we're having I, a stroke. It's not a hearing. So. <laughs> but but it, yeah, I think it's one of the lights or something. But but he, you want to know who these guys are? They like came out of the. They, they're, they're like in twelve, no, tenth grade. They come out of the bathroom. Uh, Chris has crapped into a piece of uh, like uh, paper towel. Yeah, and they come walking up to Adam and they take and smash it in the side of his head and call it and start yelling, "Hey, this guy's a shithead!" And yeah. <laughs> those became his best friends. No, they were already his best friends at that oh. point. That's so. <laughs> the kind of guys they were. Okay. Let, anyway, uh, they said they said to me, they said, oh, yeah, when he was a kid, he was so sweet and so nice. We, we took care of that. <laughs> They're like, we ruined that. He, he grew up right around the corner from yeah, here. Right like, here, yeah. he, Like he said when we came in, he goes, hey, uh, I grew up right around here. I said, really? He goes, you mind if we go see my old house? I was like, I was like in my head, I was like, yeah, let's do this. And then we went over and he was like, they turned into a McMansion. But oh. I remember that house. Oh, I do too. 
Terrible. I can't believe he grew up there. Oh, it was like something like like a witch would you know come out of or something. It's it, like really like a haunted house. It really Tiny, was though. Yeah, had two really? front doors. And I think he grew lived on the porch. He lived on the porch. Yeah. What an interesting, fascinating guy. Uh, what um what what is your feeling about? I was thinking about this this weekend. It seems like there's been great strides, especially in like our lifetimes. Great strides for women. Like I feel like women have. I, I think so. That's why this women's movement march was so sort of confusing to me too. I, I get confused by these things. Like what what are you there? I think they're afraid something's going to go wrong. I think that's it's fear that you know they, they they should get more explicit. Like I'm afraid of sessions. I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm afraid of Roe v. Wade being rolled back. Yeah. I'm afraid of defunding Planned Parenthood. Th- that I can get behind. But when I'm just afraid, it's like mm, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't didn't understand like when they were just like stop masculinity, and I was like, hold on. My my thing that bothers me about that is I go, is anyone like. Like I, I was going to do this thing with uh, with uh, a woman named Anna Heed. Uh, she's married to uh, Ira Glass. Okay, and we were going to do this project together, a uh, nonprofit where we'd go to schools and I would talk to boys because I was like, I bet we could make a lot more strides if you talk to the boys because that's who's raping people is the boys. We need to get the boys to stop. Yeah, but I was like, I was like. Uh, and so we started doing it, and then I think things kind of fell apart. But I was like, is anyone talking to – Jesus Christ. Is anyone talking to boys? Like, I feel like we're making great strides for women, but they're trying to destroy what makes boys. What, yeah, and there, there is there, there is a movement. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a movement to try to support maleness without aggression and without misogyny. And but there's, there's a, a lot of stuff out there like that. There's, like, real parts of my personality that is, like, 100% dude. Yeah. Like and I can't. I, I like I. I try to. I try to quell it, but I like it. Like yeah, just parts. And, and the the problem is, is that people have to. When whenever ideology gets in the way of anything that pushes human beings forward, expect yeah. it to ill serve humans. So there's an ideology that oh no 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 that has nothing to do with you man. Society made you that way. It's like no society helped. Yeah. But but there's a big biological piece, and if you pretend that isn't there, you the, what. The, Anytime you pretend something doesn't exist, you you can't work. You can't work with. You have to. Be, mental health is reality on reality's terms, and truth is about reality, and science is about reality. So to pretend because ideologically it doesn't serve me, it's something's not there. No, you got to deal with it. The question is, what is it? How do you shape it? What are the motivating forces behind it? How, what's what is that biology? It should be studied deeply, so so we can sort of shape it in ways that are more more healthy. That's all, and that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That quality you know is there, and it, your your parents probably knew that when you were in the in the delivery room because we saw that in our kids too. In the delivery room, we could tell the difference. Really? Oh, it's obvious. Really? Glaringly obvious. There was a girl, <laughs> and there were two boys. The boys were kind of different. One was more dudeish. I was just there it was. Yeah. And by the time they were in first grade, it was very obvious. Really. How did you? How did you? Um, Leanne's like you got to ask him three questions. Okay, why did he pick uh, addiction to work with? Total accident. Really? Yeah, yeah, complete accident. I, Wasn't I was, one of those things like everyone was like your dad was a doctor too, right? I was an inter- I'm an internist, right? And I was doing, I, I was you know doing intensive care medicine. I was going to be a cardiologist. I was heading straight down that path, and uh, I started moonlighting a psychiatric hospital. I'm like, well, this stuff's interesting, and I don't know anything about it. Which internists think they know something about? It. We don't know anything about it. Yeah. So I started running the medical services there, and I became an expert in the medical management of psychiatric patients, 
well, all the medical problems were done on the drug unit, so I got good at drug withdrawal. And then people were asking me to see more addicts all the time. I knew nothing about addiction treatment. Really? The uh, I started sort of getting exposed to it and sort of kind of understanding it. And the director of the program where I was working said, I need an assistant just to cover me when I'm gone. No big deal. You know, don't worry. It's no big deal. Then he quit six months later. And I had to move into the temporary directorship. I'm like, oh, man. So I spent the next, like, five years really making myself an expert. I enjoyed it. The more I got into it, the more I dug it. And how old were you at this point? Thirty-two to thirty-five in that range. Is, have you had you started? I was Love Line? full. Oh, Loveline was in 1983. I was 24 when we started Loveline. Oh, for real? Yeah, and that that, all, that did motivate me a little bit, interestingly, because whatever would, whatever I kept hearing about in the radio, I'd sort of focus on in my practice and sort of get good at, and then bring it back to the radio because I knew it was. I somehow just knew these were important. You know, the more I heard about stuff in real time. The more I could tell, these were involving important problems for for people today. What was it? What was, like, I started with HIV and AIDS. That's what I, my original motive. That's what motivated me to get in at first. Really, I wanted to talk. About, no one was talking to young people about AIDS. It wasn't even called AIDS yet. I, we started talking about using condoms before the term "safe sex" had been coined. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I knew, I knew, I just knew the. You know, no one was talking to kids about it. Or by kids, I mean anybody under the age of like twenty eight. Yeah. I had a, I, I had some people from the CDC mm. um, in Atlanta come out to one of my shows, and I made a joke about I don't I forget the joke I don't I can't remember the joke but it was a joke about AIDS, and they came up to me, and this guy from the CDC said, "Do you know what we call a straight guy with AIDS?" I said, "What?" And he goes, "A liar." <laughs> and I went, "Well, really?" Well, and he was like, "He was like, it doesn't happen, man. Well, it doesn't happen. It, it does happen. It just doesn't happen a lot. And it really does. Well, here's what I call them: IV drug addicts. I used to see a lot of that. Really, a lot of that. And it was a man when we were really had nothing to offer. It was so sad. You have no idea. I can't imagine. I, I tell somebody every day they were going to die in six months, and I was never wrong. This is a third, fourth year <sighs> medical student. So by the time I was a resident, it was like constant. It was like, oh. Oh my God! Very sad. So you were there at the Very ground sad. floor of AIDS. I was right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it. Like to, to the point. Did you would, like? Did, were you in the group where you're like everyone's got to wear a mask around them? No, because we were. We like had this. We, we the opposite. We we're like this is not medically transmitted. It's not transmitted medical caretakers. So we're not going to do anything. We're not, we don't. We barely even wash our hands. You know, we don't care because we're going to prove that you can't get this thing just being a medical caretaker. <laughs> really. Then about two years later, like, yeah, oops, so we could cover Just up a some bit. gloves. Some gloves would be good. <laughs> Something here. My, uh, my, 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 we had this like, like this. I, I'm, I'm overstating it, but we had this weird sort of spirit, like, oh, this can't be transmitted this way, so we're not going to be too careful. Not going to worry about it. Um, oh, I had some other story to tell you. I, had so, I saw so many AIDS patients back in the day. God, yeah, I forgot what I was saying. Uh, my buddy uh, Trip was is a is a cardiologist in Tampa, and he was in New York doing his residency or fellowship, fellowship or whatever. Yeah. And his first day, um, they were treating a woman, and I guess they were they had the they were giving her blood or something mm-hmm. or whatever, and she freaked out or taking blood from her, Uh-oh. and they have a syringe, Pulled and she away. freaked out, and it flew out in the air, uh-huh. and it landed in his forearm. Oh my god! And he was like, "Oh god, oh, this is a not great way to start." I had that happen to me with a scalpel. Once. Are you serious? Yeah, and somebody had hepatitis C, and I was like, "Oh, geez. shut the fuck Thank up!" God, nothing. Yeah. So, Thank God, but for the grace of God. Yes, we did accidentally, Siri. That oh, it's, quite when, it's when I say serious. Oh. Um, so, when, so then did you, did you have plans of mixing medicine and entertainment early on? 
I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I just thought I, was, I did it for free for ten years. I thought I was just doing community service. What doing love line? Just- yeah, one night a week for free. It was fun, different, interesting. I met lots of interesting people. It was just sort of an outlet for me. Really? Yeah. And then it was like five nights a week. I'm like, oh Jesus, how am I going to do this? And then all of a sudden, a TV guy came around. I was like, oh, what, what is that? How do you do that? So it's all been sort of this weird exploration for me. It was only I remember about five years ago I started doing it like for real. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, until when I was doing Life Changers, that daytime TV show, and CNN, and HLN, and I had Let's Stop Rehab was going then too, and I was like, okay, you got to look in the mirror. Like, come on, man, it's time to admit this is something you're feel you're actually doing. It's a second career. You can back down some of the other stuff, and it's okay. You've done your thirty years of medicine full, full, full time. You can you can crank it down a bit. That's so crazy. Yes, yeah, so that was 2010. Well, I remember. I remember watching Loveline on MTV. Yeah, it was. A, what, I don't. What was that? 90, 90s. Oh, late nineties. Late nineties. Like five years. Yeah, I remember watching that on on. Uh, and and the, the reason we we did that, they came to there like I didn't know what they were talking about. I didn't know what a TV show. I didn't know anything. And they would literally do three or four shows a day and change our clothes, do another one to change. We just we didn't know. And uh, and I said, well, look, only I've got is Friday afternoon and Saturday afternoon. Otherwise, if we can't do it there, I just can't do it. I'm too busy. Because you were doing but real medicine. Medicine, all it's like 16 hours a day. Oh, wow. And so they crammed it into Friday and Saturday afternoon. That's all. And then and then did the, this is going to sound silly that I asked this, but like, did the radio show get popular after the TV show? It was always popular, but it when Adam came in because of the TV show. We did the TV pilot; it worked. They brought him over to radio, and that's when it took off on radio. That there was that was yeah. some of the best radio I've ever heard in my yeah. entire life. I remember my buddy Lorenzo would take. Um, he would he was a headshot photographer, and he'd drop off his proofs at night, and he would do it when Loveline was on, and well, he'd just drive around the city funny. and listen. I, I got to know Corolla because I would time my nursing home rounds on the weekend. He had a shift on Saturday, and I knew when his breaks were. And so I'd get make sure I was driving between nursing homes during the shift to really? his breaks. And uh, and then he was on the show once as Mr. Bertram. Yeah. And still, we barely knew each other. And then all of a sudden, they were like, we're doing this TV show. Who, who do you want to do it with? I'm like, I have no idea. What are you talking about? How do I know him? Yeah. Leave me alone. And then I just I thought, God, I bet that Corolla guy could do it. I bet he knows what he's doing with How it. How fucking yeah. bizarre is yeah. that? What was the to- what was the point? Like, this is now this is a Bert question. Yeah. What was the point where you're like, like, I was, I'm always concerned with uh, money. But more on like uh, like one of my questions to Adam was like when you lost the job on terrestrial radio, uh, did you were you freaked out about money? And he was like, oh fuck yeah. yeah. But like you have three kids, you've been doing medicine. Is there was there a point where you're like we can up our lifestyle because we've got two incomes from two different jobs? And then was there a point where you were like we were like well shit like what do, what are we doing, what are we gonna do next? Like do you ever get worried about that? Constantly. Really. Oh, I'm a catastrophizer. My, For my, real? Oh, terrible. Oh, see, I'm that way horribly. Like that, that crazy big house you, you saw us in? Yeah. That that got bought by a sort of a webcom. I never would have done that. We lived in a house significantly smaller than you're living in for, forever. Really? A, in Glendale. And we had a webcom. And the president of the webcom goes, you got, you got to move, you, we need you in something, you know, move over here. I'm like, all right. And we'll, what, do you, we'll wait, what do you mean you had a web company? I had a doctor.com was a, one of those go-go web companies in the late 90s, early 2000s. And the web company bought that house. Hold on. You started a web company. Yeah. And it was Dr. Drew.com. Dr. Drew. I've gained it back since, but then it was a, it was one of those highly funded, big operations. For, oh, really? For a few years. Yeah. Shut it was up. Crazy. How many times have you gotten in bed with your wife and been like, this could be a game changer? 
like a, a, like 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 something like that, like where you're like, oh, never, never, no, I I just I don't get excited about anything because I'm too I'm too I'm too pessimistic. Really? Yeah, that's the way. <laughs> I my, love my, that. My house. dad was a depression era guy, and he 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 just uh, he traumatized the shit out of me about you know tomorrow end of the world for sure. And so whenever I needed clothing, like I grow out of stuff. I mean, this is like four. You can imagine doing this to a four year old kid. Leanne, your wife and I were just talking about how parents now. How could they do this to kids? It's so weird. But yeah. but I was like, I remember like being four years old, and I needed a new pair of shoes. Like I, like the shoes were just done. And he's like, all right, all right, we'll get your shoes. Go, no, go, go get them. But when you come home, I'm not going to be here. I'll be at the poorhouse. So come wave to me. I'll be there. You can, you can still wave to me through the window. You can wave to the window to me at the poorhouse. You can wave there. I'll, I can see you, but I, I can't talk to you. So no big deal. Get the shoes. I mean, this went on for my entire life. So was there and a part then, of as a four year old? I was like, I had this whole I envisioned this place where I was going to go. <laughs> I mean, I was so flipped out. So I'm always catastrophe, catastrophe, catastrophe. We, well, my dad's big statement was, uh, uh, I, we're just trying to make ends meet. Oh yeah, I always. thought that was a I thought that was a cut of meat. <laughs> I thought it was the very tail make end, meat. and I was <laughs> like, I was like, I don't, I've never even eaten ends meat. <laughs> And my dad was like, oh, we're just trying to make ends meet. And I was like, right. you never have made it. I can't, I I've never it. had it once. Yeah. But my dad. It's, I think that's what dr- drilled my workaholism. Do you think you're a workaholic? Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I, define, I, define workaholics. I think I'm a workaholic. Well, I would, I would, before therapy, I would work so much that I would have dread, like almost every day when I woke up, because I would never sleep enough. And I was never, I just never had anything except work, nothing, not sleep, no nothing. I couldn't cry. I didn't have time to take a pee. I didn't have time to pee. Really? It was weird. Yeah, and that went on for years and years and years and years. And that was on weekends and stuff, too. Really? Yeah. And you just couldn't put it down? I, there were many reasons for it. I mean, uh, I was so invested in being the perfect doctor, available to anybody, anytime, anywhere. You call on me, man, I'll be there. And that's what I did, no matter really? what. It's I'm, interesting that in a, in, in a job of addiction that you kind of well that came later i well, well, the addiction you know once i got much more involved in psychiatry i was involved in my own therapy then to really I couldn't do the work without clearing my own stuff up and uh i don't think i effectively would do it unless i had really you know taken care of myself and that all settled down that all really down. yeah when did you get in therapy you know my kids were one they're 24 now so 23 years ago and i went for 11 years really when do you know when you're done with therapy well, funny. I, I think I did five years of really intensive, like where I got a lot done, and then I did another like three years where I was just sort of showing up because I thought it was like I got to work out every day, I got to go to my therapy. Yeah, so I just did it because my therapy, therapist kept going like, "What are you? What are we doing here? What's going on?" And finally, I went, "You know what? I need to leave." And as soon as I said that, I started working again. I started doing more emotional work, and I did it for two years, and then I left. Really? Yeah. So I had like a two-year closure on the therapy, you know, or maybe three-year closure. And that was important, important part of the whole thing. I feel like you know, moving away is, you know, closing it down, moving away, becoming autonomous. I mean, that's that, that's that work. Yeah, I've, I've been in therapy. I had a, I had a meltdown uh, working with Travel Channel mm-hmm. where it was, I didn't realize it, but I was getting PTSD just from doing like bear sitting on you anything yeah. and i was and i and um i just had a meltdown and yeah. leanne leanne is so grounded she's like don't worry go down to the bar meet anna she's gonna have, she worked at travel channel at the time she's like you guys are gonna have a drink and uh, i'm gonna get you a flight tomorrow and everything will be squared away and i got down there and anna had a drink for me she's like don't worry we pulled a shoot date not gonna have to wor- go anywhere you can go home and see your family 
I got on a plane the next day. I got home, and Leanne's like, you got therapy at two. Oh. And I was like, well, really? That's I, my wife paid to go to therapy, too. That's how I went. Really? My kid was having brain... Douglas, I don't know if you met one of those yeah. kids, had brain surgery when he was one. What? Yeah. He had a... It's a long story. I don't want to get into that, but he had brain... And I was... I was... Like, my anxiety was off the chain, and I was workaholic, and... And my wife calls me and she goes, uh, "You need that therapy." And I was all the while I've been always been thinking about it, planning it. I go, "Yeah, I know, I need to go." And she goes, "No, no, you need to go." And I was like, it's "Stop!" The way she said it stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, "Okay, got it. Right now, yeah. put the phone down. I'll call her." Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, for me, I had two things that held me back with therapy. Number one, I thought, "Okay." I remember I went to one therapist. I had a, a very public breakup with a friend uh, on. It was Jay Moore, and it, he was. Not being maybe the nicest, uh, it was, you know, and it was bothering me, and I couldn't tell my guilt in anything, and I couldn't find my own, and so I went to this therapist, and uh, and I felt like saying to him, like, uh, I was like, the first question I asked is, I said, how much is your mortgage? He's like, why does that matter? I go, because I feel like as long as you have a mortgage, I'm gonna have problems. Like I, can't, I see the two being tied, like because I'm in, in essence paying your mortgage by paying you. So, like, I just want to know how much your mortgage is. And he's like, oh, it's inconsequential. And I go, no, because if, like, if your mortgage is, like, ten grand a month, then I'm going to have problems for a long time. And I was like, but if you have a low mortgage or if you rent, I'm not really that concerned. And I feel like you're, you're, re- you're really you're there for me. You're therapy soon. Yeah. And I was like, he was like, I don't think we'd be a right fit. And I was like, okay. And then I, Joey Diaz ended up just calling you me. You know, I would have said the same thing. Yeah. Oh, I was. Because uh, it's not a good place to start from. Oh, I'm I f- just so... Oh my God! I had another therapist that I was that I did not go well with, but she was a woman, and I kept thinking. Uh, I was like, I, th- I was like, she wasn't that attractive, and I was like, I guarantee you, she wants to have sex with me. I was like, that's the way anyone works. Like, if- but that's your but that's your process, and you should tell her that when that happens. I did. Okay, good. And she was like, I don't want sex with you. And I go. Eh. I was like, I bet I'm eye candy to you. Like, I bet I, I come in and awesome. she was like, she was like, I, I don't know why that would matter. And I go, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, if I had a hot client that came in. That's and, actually good therapy. The fact that you're being so open and honest. Now. You, uh, she didn't like it. And then we stopped. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, that's her stuff. Then. Yeah, she didn't like it. She bothered. And I was like, oh, I must hit a nerve. My therapist now, the thing, other thing I didn't like, is I don't like having to get in a car and go somewhere to therapy. Yeah. So I Skype with him. It's awesome. Really? Yeah. I love it. I've never even met him. I mean, not, I know him, just know him on Skype. It doesn't seem like that. I, I must tell you that for me, this is me, the kind of therapy I needed to do, I needed a person in close proximity. Oh, really? And I needed her. I needed to oh, have you, you just said her. You, you needed a her? Yeah. Oh, I couldn't mess around with a chick. So I needed attunement. I needed you know proper boundaries and somebody that actually sat and listened deeply where I could like her whole body was listening and it made me an amazing help me work with patients like crazy because then really? I could do that for patients but do, 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 is, 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 does part of you think to yourself like to your therapist hey man you're lucky you're getting Dr. Drew like no <laughs> I have low self I have shitty esteem no, I have low self esteem like, how cool if you're Dr. Drew's therapist like like uh, no she's way didn't... too good for that really yeah oh see I never even I'm occurred horrible. to me. That never even occurred to me. Oh God, 
Oh, I'm fucking. I ran into her once out in the world, like six, five, six years after I finished. And she goes, uh, yeah, somebody said you were here. And I, she goes, you know, I hope I hope what, the work we did had something to do with the success you're having. I go, dude, there's a whole reason I could do it. Really? I go, thank you. I, I sent her, a, like, years out. I sent her a letter saying thank you. I don't know how you sat through all my bullshit for all those years. Like, what kind of bullshit? I can't imagine your bullshit. You seem like the most even-keeled guy. My bullshit's real. Like, <laughs> well, like. But is, would you want to sit through not real bullshit? I wouldn't. What? I'd rather. I, I would like your bullshit. Oh, that sounds interesting to me. But mine, mine, mine does not sound interesting. Mine's fucking. I'm. Well, good. Crazy. Like you need, you need a female, though. Ah, uh, no, I gotta. Yeah, I couldn't dude, deal with a female. Come on now. Mm-mm. That's where the work. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the work is. Did uh, did you feel like uh, when when <laughs> I couldn't have a. It's like one of the things that I used. You're married, the one you're married to. Oh God, she, yeah. She's your therapist. Oh, she is re- has this book. You're a badass, yeah. and she'll read it to me. She knows I won't read it out loud, and it's all about self esteem and ego, and 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 then like a fucking jerk. Um, she's reading it, and then I go, I think this guy's gay. And she goes, no, it's a chick. I go, I can't listen to this shit anymore. And she goes, what? I go, I go, I, I don't, I, I thought this was a dude. Oh man, you need, you got to work with one of these. <laughs> she days. was like, you she was like, to. are you serious right now? Oh. And I go, well, no, I mean, it's just a woman's wants and needs are always going to be different than a man's wants and needs. And she was like, no, they're inherently the same. I was like, no, because like one of the things she said, this is what I it was a misnomer. She's like. Or maybe you want that hot dude in your yoga class. And I was like, what? And I was like, <laughs> he's gay. I was like, there's no connection whatsoever. <laughs> but yeah, Leanne's just one of those people that she believes in doing the work. Well, what are the other things that she wanted? That was one. We, only, we now answered one of the questions she wanted you to ask me. What? You said there were three she wanted. Oh, she wants to know how you and Susan met. Oh, uh, through radio. Uh, too. She was like a promotion person there and just was working with the bikini girl group that they had there. Really? And, uh, and I had this very intense reaction to her. Well, here's here's a crazier story. Um, turns out we had met years before. Uh, she was like at the microphone announcing a, a fashion show. She was running this show, and to this friend of mine, and I it was our, after second year of medical school. We went down to Orange County and locked ourselves in a room and studied for our what are these called national merit boards that we had to take. And uh, it took two weeks. We we're just killing ourselves, studying our asses off. And like ten days in, we we're like, we got We're going to kill each other. We got to get out of here. So we yeah. went to this bar. There was this fashion show. Here's this woman at the mic. I go. I, I have to talk to her. I, I don't know what. I don't. I'm not like that. I don't talk to anybody. I just can't, really. I can't walk up to somebody and talk to them. But I was like, I have to. I have to. And I, after like scout, you know, like stalking her for an hour, finally got in there and said something. She just blew me off horribly. I was like, fuck, let's get out of here. <laughs> Screw it. So fast forward like three years. Uh, we were on. We met through radio people, and she had a boyfriend then. And I and I had this. I didn't realize it was the same person. I had the same reaction I, where it was like, I just I can't not do what I'm about to do. And I gave her. I go look. I know you have a boyfriend. I would never interfere with anything. But if you should break up, here's my number. Just I want you to call. Just no no big deal if you don't. But here's my number. And she called. And, and that was that. And then we about a year into dating, she had one of these, uh, you know, they have glass tops on on your desk. Yeah, yeah. And she would slide pictures under there. And I'm looking at this one picture and go, oh, there's that fashion show. Oh, my God. Were you at that fashion show? That <gasps> Oh, my God. That was you. Shut up. I, I didn't even know until like a year later. Yeah. Get that, out. Isn't that weird? Now, what were you, were you like? And then we were on, off, on, off, on, off. And then we finally got our shit together. Really? Yeah. Um, were you, did you, 
this is a weird question to ask. You don't have to answer, but I'm yeah. just curious. Were you like, did you have a lot of sexual partners before you met your wife? Were you like a sleep around guy or a monogamous guy? Not a monogamous guy. Really? At that point, no. I liked to. I liked. I liked dating. I really liked it. But let people uh, hate it. I really enjoyed I hated it. dating. I liked it. I like being in a relationship. Well, I, I prefer that too. But I, but I actually really enjoyed going out, and meeting and, people, and stuff. And did you guys know that you wanted to have kids, or did you think kids weren't something going to be something that you guys it, wanted to do? It, it was no. We both knew it. But but I was, you know, I think I was sort of weirdly. I don't know. It was weird. I, I had a weird attitude about marriage. I was, af- I guess, I was afraid of it. I sort of felt like, well, you have all this fun, and you get married, and then you die. <laughs> it's like, like you know what I mean? The yes. marriage, and then death. And and the, if you marry, of course, you have kids. And and I always knew I could do that and wanted to do that, but but it wasn't like until she really pushed both. Uh, it, I, I was weirdly immature that way. You know, you two yeah. are a very interesting couple. Because you, it's you seem like very different people. Very different, like like Which really. I like. Yeah. It, was, it was so funny because I said to Leanne, she goes, "What do you think Doctor Drew's wife's going to be like?" And I was like, "Oh, probably." I was expecting another a surgeon. No, like no, I was expecting. No. I can't stand. I can't stand people like that. Oh yeah. No, I mean I, I like them, but I couldn't couldn't live with them or anything. No way. Oh no, two, yeah. Two of me? Are you kidding? Oh, it's like Leanne and I are completely yeah. opposite. Yeah. Like she's one of those people that like. She's very matter of fact. Like when I was when we first, I think I probably told you this, but when we first started dating, I was taking Xanax like crazy, oh, yeah. and she just was like, "Oh, you're done. <laughs> you're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, you're done. That's great." She was the one when I was t- I was taking. I fell off that waterfall and I was taking oxy's. She was like, "No more." She's like, "You're done," and she threw them out. She could go get a prescription for marijuana if you need it, but you are none, not taking these anymore. So I was taking them with Valium because that's what they told so me to dangerous. do. So dangerous. So dangerous. God. Have you seen drugs change, like addictions change as long as you've been in this? Oh, what, yeah. are the, what have been the, the peaks well, it and was, valleys? You know, I started it was pot, alcohol, cocaine. I mean, that was the, that was the combo. And then meth can't kicked in. You remember when meth kicked in in oh, South yeah. California? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I thought for sure is because we were treating all the ADHD and ADD with stimulants in childhood. Really? I, I was convinced of it. So I looked at that literature as it evolved very carefully, kept abreast of it. And it was very clear the opposite, that it had nothing to do with it. I mean, it's really clear in the science that the... Stimulants up to the age of eighteen reduces your risk later. So it was something else. There was something else going on, really? which was just the cheapness, the availability. The cocaine was expensive, and you know, and it just got distributed, and people liked it. Did you have fr- friends and family like around you ever getting addicted? No, not that I can think of. Like yeah. no one, like no, you never had like a friend call up and go, Drew, oh it's yeah. Dave, oh, I yeah. need you to yeah. help yeah. my Once kid. I into it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still get those all the time. Really? Yeah, all the time. Do yeah. people have a hard time partying around you? Yeah, which I hate <laughs> because I'm I'm not the I don't if people want to use I don't you know you know me I'm yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, sure. they, I'm I'm supposed to be like the narc guy and I'm not at all I, I I'm interested in helping people that want to stop who can't yeah that's it that's who I'm interested in helping everybody else I want them to have a good time can you could you can you like like you know what the opposite of gaydar do you have like that with alcohol or with uh, addiction can you tell you're like Ugh. probably alcoholics best really. Yeah, addicts. I've you know addicts BS me. I've been BS by the best. Oh, you've been. They're really good at seriously. Oh yeah. God, I love Celebrity Rehab. I fucking loved that show. It was fun. How many is Steven Adler still around? Yep. In fact, he's his mom's coming on my radio show soon. Really? Yeah. She put a book out about. How's he doing? Pretty good, as far as I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Compared to what we found it. Oh my god. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. Because you were just like, man, that was was him and Jeff Conway. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff good. killed me. Jeff was... Mm. I don't know what she thinks she's doing. She's coming into the show. I don't know. <laughs> she's going to join us. 
Yeah, uh, Jeff, yeah, you have no idea what I did with, with the struggle with Jeff over the even long after the show was over. Kept really? Struggling, kept struggling. And my peers killed him. They kept putting him back on opiates. Every time I get him off, they'd put him back on. Really? Oh, yeah, it was terrible. It was so awful. What does she think she's doing? I mean, he was so... <laughs> he goes... <laughs> I don't know. No. I don't... Hold on. Jesus Christ. It's just something important. Oh, he is? Oh, fantastic. This Thank is my you. friend. Okay, goodbye. What was that she said? This, there's a child that I find absolutely hilarious. And he does not do it on purpose. He's in her class? He's in her class. He's, oh, wow. he, they're in a play together. Oh, how fun. And this kid makes me howl laughing. But he's just one of those kids. He's just different. He's just awesome. And uh, so she, she came back. to make you me. happy. See, she did. Um, they were putting him back on opiates? Oh, yeah. Why? Well, he's a drug addict, right? So he'd seek them, and mm-hmm. they'd go, oh, your back pain? Oh, yeah, we need another operation, and we need to put you on He got so strung out, they actually had to put him in a nursing home because he was on such high levels, they couldn't safely have him out in the world. It was so crazy. So what is the, what is the, what is the math with putting people on opiates? Like, Oh, don't I, it's such a long story. Really? If people want to blame the drug companies, fine. It was my peers. It was pain management. It was my profession that did it, and still doing it. Still doing. I've always, I'm always shocked at how easy it is to get opiates. Oh, it's ridiculous. And, and, and nobody better at it than addicts. They know exactly where to go, what to say. And our job is to, to figure that out, not to just go, who are we? Who are they asked for? Who am I to say what pain is? You, want to, you know, he needed relief. Like, oh, come on. Oh, hey, when they, they say to you, on a scale of one to ten, where is this? Oh, who, whoever says it's a four? Oh, and all my all the, the – towards the end of when I was running the treatment center – all we were doing was taking so-called chronic pain patient off opiates, much, much like Jeff. Yeah. And, uh, and you, they all the same story. How What's yours on a scale of 10? It's a 20. It's a 20. Yeah. And we would get them off opiates, no pain treatment other than getting them off the opiates. Two weeks later, they would not discuss their pain. They would not mention their pain unless you prompted them. And they would always say between four and a six. Really? Yeah. Just, just taking them off the opiates. What's and, the, no, and pain management never did that. What's ever. the worst opiate out there? The one you like? Oh, really? Yeah, you just, there's, you, you they're all bad of anything. Because I've always gotten a hydrocodone. That's nothing, right? That's Vicodin. That's Vicodin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's. I always say there's. What's fun- the other thing? I don't, I don't want to talk about opiates. Okay. I, I talked about it so Look, much. Okay, I'm let's tired. talk about. Let's talk what about, else did your wife want? That was two. We got two questions. Uh, uh, raising children. Okay, what about them? Uh, she, even, even, she would have been so mad if you didn't ask me all three. I know. Yeah. Right. Uh, she so wanted. I'm, to I'm know. saving you. She wanted to. Yeah. Well, she came in and I was. I was. You're on your squatty potty. I get no, it. I was watching Neil Brennan special, and I was, <laughs> and she just goes, "Hey, I need to talk to you about this interview with Drew." I think she wanted to be in here in it, oh. and I was like, it's, "No." <laughs> and then, but then, even still, when she came in, I go, "Do you want?" Oh no, I got to pick up yeah, Georgia. Yeah, yeah she um, raising kids because you know I f- we feel like very candidly, uh, my youngest is going to be one of those wild children, the one that you just met. You mentioned she's like you. Yeah, and I was like, and she was like, he seems to have very successful children. How did he do it? Did they, like, did your kids ever get drunk and go, Dad, I got drunk? And then you had to, like, what were the, what, like, like, and especially with the legalization of marijuana, like, I don't know what to do. Well, it was a little easier because it wasn't legal. But I just said, look, um, you know, because I'm always telling parents, I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in my career where I told parents what to do. They didn't do it or they did 10% of it and the kids died. 
And I, I like I I saw that th- you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I know how to do this. I know it's it's not pleasant. But I'm going to do it. So <laughs> I said, first of all, I'm sorry, but I don't allow any illegal activities in around my home. Any. Yeah. So is it legal to drink at 21? Illegal to drink at 21? Yeah. Oh well, guess what? You're not drinking them. That's it. Really? No big deal. Okay. Are there any other? Th- do I let you do anything else illegal? Well, speeding. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, don't really, I don't really like that anyway. Uh, but you know, I don't let you do illegal things. And if you have if you have problems with the law, I'm going to make sure the consequences are full fully come down on you. I'm not going to rescue you from anything like that. No really? way. So, and then one day I was sort of made that known for a long time. And then one morning there were about fourteen, fifteen. We were breakfast, and I just somehow it came up, and I thought, here it goes. And I go, look, they'd all been to my unit, they'd all seen what I do, they'd seen it a bunch. And I go, you guys know what I do, and you know I have to, you know, I, I tell parents all the time what to do, and I've seen some terrible things happen. So, look, I'm just, I'm, you're, I'm sorry for you that I'm your dad, but my my experience has taught me that uh, look, you can uh, do whatever you want. Uh, good, good. I know you're going to try stuff, but if you drove a drug problem, trust me, I will pack your car with heroin and make sure the cops get you. And I will make sure that you have the. I will talk to that judge, make sure that things come crashing down, fullest possible extent. Yeah, in my head, I'm thinking, and make sure they mandate five years of treatment and blah blah blah. Yeah, blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I'm just saying, I'm I'm not gonna certainly not gonna rescue you and make things better. No way. If you get a problem with the law, it's coming down. It's gonna happen. Just really try me. Then I said. Uh, I don't allow anything illegal. So if something you do something illegal and you get caught, then you're, it's on you. In fact, I'm, I'm sure I'll come get you. You just, you just take care of it. It's your problem. Then I said, God help you if you go to a party where an adult serves you alcohol. Because I swear to fucking Christ, I will show up on the lawn with the sheriffs and have those parents drawn, taken away. And I'll be on the lawn laughing my ass off. Try me. And they're all like, and it was, it was, the comedy was, my son's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. My daughter eating a face in the cereal, <laughs> didn't even look up. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, okay, mental note, got, got my eyes on you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and God damn it, they didn't get to go to any parties. Nobody, people didn't invite them to parties and things. And they, I never they, understood parents who let their kids drink. That never. Well, I'd s- rather they drink here than. But that's I don't such get BS. that. They, I don't it's get that. Stupid parents. It's they really don't understand. You adolescent brains can't understand. It's okay to do something here, but not here. They, they they if it's okay to do something here, it's okay to do something here too. Yeah, that's the way adolescents work. And no, they believe me that that you they need very firm boundaries, very significant consequences, or they will it will start to un, you know happen. Stuff will happen, and you know the key thing. I, once they're in college, it's like, hey man, it's on you guys. You do whatever you do. Uh, but my thing is trying to preserve their brain during development. I mean, it is serious business. That's my job. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry. And it would be it'll be terrible. How what a horrible thing to have to do to bring the axe down if I'm if something you know they do develop a, a problem. But I said, look, I'm I have to. That's why I tell parents like it's not about you. Your job is to drop the axe. Just drop it and just let it fall. Don't 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 get angry. Do it with peace and love, and boom, let it happen. Because otherwise, you're into a dance. You're in a dance that will go on and on and on. Yeah, I so that to be firm. That's all I'm saying. That's that's that be was firm, like, be direct, be clear. And did that's it work? All. Yeah, seemed to. I'm sure in college it did stuff, but it's on, they're adults. That essentially, it's like on them. It's like whatever. You know, that's interesting. What was, was your dad? Was your dad firm? No, my parents had no idea what I was doing. Really? No idea. <laughs> what was the first time you got drunk? 14 or something. 
Did yeah. you did you smoke pot growing up? A little bit. I hated it. Really? Yeah, I didn't like it. I just Thank I just started God, liking like it again. It really, it really, ugh, I really didn't like it. I was, when I was in college. I lived on a floor with a bunch of guys that smoked a lot of pot, and I kept going. No, I just not. They go, you don't do it right, man. Because when people, when people are marijuana addicts, they love it. You know, they just love it. And so the idea that somebody doesn't like it is incomprehensible. Yeah, and that's a different biology. It's just a different biological thing. And they're they're like, no, no, man, we're going to teach you how to do it. Yeah. So they made me smoke a lot for a week, and at the end of that time, I felt terrible, and we liked it less, yeah. and had trouble concentrating, and couldn't do my calculus. I was like, I was like, oh my god, I hurt myself with this garbage. So that was it. I was just sort of done with it after that. I didn't. I uh, I smoked it a couple times when I was like probably fourteen, and then uh, smoked it one time with my buddy Blake, and I had a full blown panic attack. Yeah. And and I couldn't enjoy it. I've seen people have panic attacks that never stop. What? People deny this happens. I tell you, I've seen it clinically. It's rare, but I've seen it. Is that the story? Like, you'd hear these horror stories about the guy who uh, to, did acid one time and never was the same? Yeah. Well, that guy, yes. There, I've seen stuff like that, too. But those people were already, you know, something was going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, wondered if, I always wondered if uh, marijuana could bring on um, schizophrenia. There is data that if you do a lot, a high dose, that you can bring on schizophreniform things, maybe schizophrenia, or there's a higher incidence of that sort of maybe being expressed in somebody who might be predisposed. Yeah. I think it's more like that. But it's got to trigger it at the, at it's the age. trigger that, something. Yeah, the, yeah. At the age that it would have been triggered regardless. Yeah, yeah. And you might have been prone to it anyway. That's right. Um, because, I, I mean, I might, that panic attack I had when I was 14 was to a point where I was like, I will never smoke this again. And then I ended up smoking it again. Uh, with my buddy Cayman and Sean and Spencer and had another panic attack immediately. And I was like, okay, I'm done. And then I didn't smoke it again for a while. I'm sure I'd have panic. I had panic in college and stuff too. Oh, and I'm sure I'd, I'd have that again. I want to say that I want to say no joke that, uh, and I had panic attacks younger than that. I always had panic attacks in my life, but, uh, but I didn't mess around with weed again until I was in college. And then once I was in college, I would be very, like scarce about it i'd be like a little bit just a little bit but i started enjoying it again recently uh because they have all these different forms of it you think yeah and you can go it's like when you were a kid you didn't know what you're getting and so yeah, you're buying a lid man yeah you're like <laughs> <laughs> and i think i think uh i know for a fact i started smoking it to cope with um travel channel because <laughs> i was like i was just i i've just i mean i remember Ugh, just there, it was such a great experience. I'm not shitting on the experience. It was it was a great set of life experiences, but it was just too much at certain times. Yeah, I get it. Where you're like, um, TV's intense. They 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 are always drilling for more, more intensity, more whatever. Yeah. What did you vote for the pa- passage of legalized marijuana? Uh, I think I did. Yeah, I did. I'm Do you sure think it's going to be good? My dad, my dad is against it. Oh no! I think I abstained. I abstained from that vote because I felt like I couldn't. I shouldn't really take a position on it. That but I, I was I was fine that it went. went. Yeah. Uh, well, it was not particularly good in Colorado, and there'll be some bad consequence, and then we'll sort of get our crap back together again. It would be cool if they could just lower it, lower the dose. They're never going to do that, but lower the dosage so everyone people take more. <sighs> you know, it goes. That's what I'm. I'm worried about with my kids. Is like my daughter asked me about marijuana the other day, mm. and I was like, I guess I'd rather have you smoke marijuana than drink. Because you can die from drinking. Yeah, but the, the 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 data on the adolescent brain is really scary. I don't. Really I, scary. I I told her I was like, 
Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm parenting well because I was like, I don't want you doing anything. You got Leanne here, relax. Yeah, I go. I don't, you're well, fine. No. Leanne's like, let's just be honest with them. I go, are you fucking no, out of your mind? No, no, no. You don't. Well, you're a, you have a problem because your brand is about all the stuff you did. Normally, I tell parents don't talk, don't discuss what you did or didn't do. Really, you tell them about what you expect them to do. Do you and, ever think about writing a parenting book? Yeah. Mm. You seem to have done good. Yeah. You were hanging out with your kids the other night. Yeah, Everyone seems well rounded. No, they're great. They went to great schools and they're doing yeah. interesting stuff. And you know, I just feel lucky, <laughs> but for the grace of God, <laughs> I really do I feel what? lucky. But I, but I think you know, look, I, I think we have uh, pathologized adolescents and young people. What's that mean? I don't know what that we means. We made them sick and a problem, and they're for the most part good. Yeah, if you're good parents, if you're involved, you you stay together, you hold a safe unit here for them, you contain them, you love them, you you know you direct and firm with them. It's going to turn out okay. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, really, we lived in a weird, in a weird toxic world where it's scary, and bad things can get triggered just by the nature of the chemicals that are that are around. But you can get on that quick. You know what I mean? You can get on it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm not. It is kind of a weird, especially being a comedian. You put everything out there on stage. I know. I know. And so. There's, I mean, like it's a special case. It's almost like being to me. It's like being a drug addict. Like, like when people are drug addicts, go, yeah, you tell them everything, but you make them part of the recovery. So I guess I'd say the same thing here. Make sure they get proper treatment and be part of the mental health whatever services you use. We use lots of mental health services for our kids and family and stuff. Really? By the time they were three, we had a behavior specialist because we were like yelling a lot. We're like, what the hell's that? And so we got this behaviorist. Um, here's what we do: change our life. Wait, who's weeks. yelling? Who's yelling? We were like, ah, <laughs> the kids. We have three little toddlers running around. You're yelling. Yeah, and we were like, "This can't be right. This, we're yelling too much." And so we went and saw behaviors. He gave us certain things to do, and it just changed our life fast. It was crazy, really. Yeah, and we everyone's had therapists, and you know. Oh, I think Isla's Georgia was started having panic attacks. Yeah, and uh, Leanne got her therapist. Yeah. and bam. But yeah. it's so funny. It pays dividends. It really oh, pays dividends. So they just you're gonna be fine. A Relax. little bit of insight, like so. What Leanne was do uh, doing was I, saying, I was actually afraid my kids would go. Hey, you farmed out your parenting to all your professional peers. Uh, <laughs> I was afraid of that. We did so much of it, and, uh, and I was like, "No, they haven't said that." Thank God. So no, we Georgia was getting panic attacks, and Leanne would just go, "Honey, just go back in bed and try to count sheep, or listen to music, listen to music, or count sheep." And Georgia's like, "It's not working," yeah. and she was like, "No, it is. You're not doing it right." And then they went to the therapist, and the therapist was like, oh, that's the worst thing, to yeah, tell a child to count sheep. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, keeping the mind active. Yeah, you need yeah. to shut the brain off. Yeah. She's like, music is a horrible fucking idea. Do not play music. And Because she was playing this music, and what, Georgia just... <laughs> what would they ever do? Uh, read or something? Do they, uh, I don't know. She's got these uh, breathing techniques, I oh, guess yeah, she breathing. does. Breathing is the best. Even get like, a kid to breathe. Georgia just went to two therapy sessions yeah. and was like, I think I got it. Yeah, right? Isn't that great? It's crazy. I was like, are you kidding me? I, she looks at me and she's like, she's like, Dad, you should take like meditation or something. You said that the other day, transcendental meditation. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, you you should try that. Yeah. Does it work? I've never tried it, but you know, Stern always talks about it. Oh, does he? Yeah. And people swear by him. Um, no, I think you were, we were talking about medication generally, meditation generally. And I said, meditation. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I said, what kind are you doing? Like, I'm not know, doing any. I know. I'm the I'm the least healthy person that with with brain stuff and. Like I just not the least healthy. I'm probably not the least healthy, but I think on a scale of one to ten, you mean you, your pre-existing conditions or your substance or like like I I like I need to figure out how to fly without drinking. I need to figure that out, and well, I there's can't. There's a whole program of people waiting to greet you. Who? Oh, AA. I could introduce you oh, to them. Fuck them. That's not gonna work for me. 
I can't tell you how many people have said that to me. <laughs> for whom it eventually did. No, but I I can totally not drink. But if I get on a plane, I have to drink. Like panic sets in yeah. horrifically. And I wish I could just shut that off. I wish I could just be like, like I see people reading like a magazine on a plane. I I used to have fear of flying. Terrible. Really? Horrible. Horrible. And I flew once without panic and it all went away. And that tends to be the way fear of flying is. It tends to come on, get super intense, and mm-hmm. then it just suddenly goes away. Yeah. And it comes on late too. People often have no trouble flying and then all of a sudden they do. Is that you? Uh, no, I've always, always had a, been bad. Yeah. When on my first flight to Philadelphia when I was a kid, I said to my mom, I was like, okay, we'll start taking off. And I go, all right, this is high enough right here. And she was like, what? And I was like, no, no, this is high enough. He's going higher? How high is he going? And I was like, mom, tell him to go down. And wow. she was like, oh, this is going to get bad. No. I just started getting uh, claustrophobia. I have a little bit of that too. Like getting harnessed into stuff. Yeah. Like Rachel Ray told me about it, and she was like, "Oh, I get claustrophobic." And I Rachel was like, "Ray, I was just with her on Friday. How weird!" Yeah, she gets claustrophobic. We were supposed to go scuba diving one time, yeah. she, and the helmet was freaked her out. She's yeah. like, ah, "I'm not going to do it." Yeah. And I was like, "And I never got claustrophobia." And then I got harnessed into something. I started getting claustrophobia uh, scuba diving, yeah. like yeah. going underwater. I was like, "Oh, this yeah. is freaking me out." Yeah. But then if I, it's so funny, if I see a camera, I'm totally fine. Not weird. Like. I start disconnecting with whatever it is, and I play for the camera. Right, right, right. And then I'm not me. I'm on right. TV. None of this is real. Right, right, right. And so I can scuba dive with cameras, but if it's without cameras, I'm, interesting? I'm a fucking mess. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if there's a that's sort of a model for how to deal with your anxiety generally. I don't know. Like possibly. Somehow put yourself in a different place. Do you think that the most people with addiction that comes from it stems from anxiety? Or OCD or something? Well, addicts also have a lot of OCD and anxiety, and those are overlapping things. Um, but real addiction comes from trauma, childhood traumas. Oh, really? Adverse childhood experiences, yeah, yeah. Like, like I mean, what kind of trauma? Sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, stuff like that. And and I, I always tell, you know, um, I always I have an aphorism. I, I was giving a lecture once, and my and I said, well, my patients always have this, and my peer, my this very famous guy goes, don't, don't say always, don't say always. Because doctors have this thing: don't never say never and always. You just because you never know. I mean, it's just things statistically aren't likely to be a hundred percent. Yeah. And so I got up at this lecture. And I go, well, you know, Doctor Siegel told me not to say always, so I'll just say it this way: a one hundred percent of my patients have, have, have a trial, trial of trauma. And, and the, the way the way, I, the way I see it is, if you have bad enough addiction, you I, I treat it really severe addicts. Yeah. And if you have bad enough addiction, you just see me, then there's a 100% probability that you have trauma. So I'm not saying everyone with addiction has trauma. Yeah. I'm saying if you have bad addiction, bad enough you have to see me, then I can predict there'll be childhood trauma. How closely related are, are like eating disorders and addictions? The trauma triggers the eating disorder. So we, we used to have trifectas, cutting, addiction, eating. We, we used to see that a lot. There was a point when I was in high school and I was like, cutting, I might as well try that, see if it works. Mm-hmm. Like just, but the, so... Eating disorders come out of trauma. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. But in, in my again, in my world, that's what I. That was one of my biggest. That's one of my biggest concerns for my daughters is I don't ever want them to get eating disorders. Yeah. But my daughter I, eating disorder. What? My daughter's eating disorder. Really? Yeah. She was an ice skater, competitive ice skater. Women, you know, senior women, all the stuff. And, the, and uh, went to college and came back after two years and went. I've been in treatment for a year. I've been eating disorder. We were we were stunned. We were stunned. She hid it so well. I mean, that's part of the deal with eating disorders. They hide it. Yeah. And and when she's told me, I was like, 
first I was like, oh, shit, I felt so bad for her. I didn't want her to have anything wrong. And then at the same time, I was super grateful. I'm like, oh, my God, you, you went and you got treatment and you're actively engaged in treatment. <gasps> That's so awesome. I'm so happy. You know, it was weird. It was like I didn't want her to be sick, but I was so glad that she knew to get treatment. People don't engage in treatment. You know what I mean? Mental health treatments, you have to engage with them. You have to participate in the treatment. Yeah. And people don't do that. No. And she was doing it and did it. And now it's like a spokesperson and stuff. Really? Yeah. What was her eating disorder? Bulimia? Bulimia, yeah. How the f- I can't, I wouldn't, I don't like throwing up. Yeah, I know. It was, it's weird. You know, we talked to her. She had, she had a dietitian. She had coaches. She had, and, and everyone was like, no, she was. No way. We would have known. No, she was. Really? Yeah. Now, did she, did, what, did she, what was her trauma? Dealing with her, her parents. Her, her dad knew, told her, well, I'm going to call the cops. Eating disorders are a little more complicated. Right? Yeah. It's not explicit trauma. So there's no way to, right. there's, I mean, like, if I would imagine if anyone is going to have perfectly well-rounded kids, it's you, and even you get yeah, the, and sure. so I, because I'm like fucking terrified that my oldest is going to get an eating disorder. Well, get, get, the, the key is the treatment. Drinking? Treat the treatment. Oh. <laughs> the treatment. He's getting him in treatment? Drinking. Treatment, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, that's because I told you I kind of developed a little bit of an eating disorder when I was doing that weight loss I think challenge. I was, I've been prone to that kind of thing. Do I get momentum with that? Preoccupied? I'm, I mean, I, I, you know, I was sort of traumatized as a kid, so. Yeah? Mm. Um, Emotional trauma. Do you, or do, you, do you consider yourself a workout-aholic? Yeah, I really was at one time. Now, now I just I, I mean, there was a I don't you look normal right now, but there was like I remember seeing you. I think right after you got diagnosed with cancer, yeah. and you were yoked. Probably, was, probably my weight was just up then because I get I get big when I, when I gain weight. No, no, you were just ripped. Hmm. I mean, you're still in great shape, but like I was like, wow, you're working out pretty aggressively. Um, I, I, I before that I was aggressive. Really? Yeah, and. and I lo- but now I just like it. I mean, it's really like my my meditation in a way. Yeah, I really, I miss it. If I don't what do you do? It. Do you go just do weights? Just lift weights, yeah. Just lift weights. Since I was like fifteen. Really? Mm. That's so interesting. What do you think about hormone replacement therapy for men? Yeah, I bug my urologist all the time. And I'm like, I said five years. If I have cancer for five years, I want you to put me on some testosterone. Oh, seriously? Yeah. So it's okay to do. It's carefully, you know, replacement, not excess. Not you know, not supplement so much as replacement. Yeah, right. I, I, that makes sense to me. We we replace women's hormones. Why not men? So, but I always look at like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I go, he had to use a lot of steroids. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Those and guys, he, you have no idea what they do. And he has Massive. no health problems. Uh, he had aortic valve replacement. Remember? Oh, did he really? Yeah. Oh, was that? You think that's from steroids? Oh, I'm sure of it. Really? Yeah, I bet you. And so, but you look at those guys and they're like, they seem to be fine. They, they seem okay. And there's sort of a rational approach to it. People will argue that do that stuff. But a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys from the seventies are dead. Oh, really? A lot of them. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, it's, it, and and I, there's a lot of cross addiction with steroids and stimulants. It's a lot. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could never, I, I could never, if I ever take a pill, I'm done for the day. Yeah. Like I could never be one of those athletes who's taking pills like Brett Favre and playing. No. I would be like, ah, no, I'd be. He's taking pills? Well, no, that was back in the day. What was he taking? Uh, Vicodins. He was oh addicted to Vicodins. Oh, my God. It made me yeah, fucking dude. fall in love with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I always like that kind of guy that like, that you're like, oh, he parties. <laughs> like John Daly. Oh. He really I, parties. I love him. They tried to get him for celebrity rehab. Like, oh, so really? Times, yeah. Who's, a, who's the one that you guys never could get that you really wanted? I didn't really want anybody. Really? No, I was not involved. In that. I was just I evaluate people once they 
told me oh, what they wanted to do. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. And I remember, I, I, I really can't tell you some of them because, you know, they, they didn't release. Technically, I'm evaluating them as a doctor. Oh, yeah. And it's only after they get agreed to do the show, they sign away all their privacy privileges. But they were so ridiculous with how they, who they wouldn't allow on the show. People that were perfect for treatment, but because they said they were suicidal or something, like, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, look, you're not evaluating whether somebody can be on a reality show. You're evaluating whether they, I can treat them, whether yeah. they're appropriate for treatment. I'm the, I decide that, not your bullshit little screens for whether or not somebody can tolerate being on a reality show. Yeah. And then they would send me people that were inappropriate for treatment. They were too sick. That used to drive me insane. And they'd go, I met with the family. They're so sweet and nice. Oh, this boy has a little problem. No, oh, you'll enjoy them. And I'm like, the guy comes and he's like dying of addiction. I'm like, oh my God, how, wh- what's the matter with these psychologists? That's anyway. crazy. Yeah. That, um, now, what do you, uh, what's, I, we should probably wrap this up. I know you got a busy day, but what's, uh, what do you want to do next? I don't know. What do you, you know, right now you've got your podcast with Bob. Podcast I just did Bob, that. Podcast with uh, another doctor, podcast with Adam, podcast mm-hmm. by myself, just a bunch of podcasts and KBC radio here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I'm, sort of, I'm going to start something with CNN again, but I think that's going to be relatively limited. And uh, I, I, I would kind of like to, I don't know, something about talk and panels or something or something new. I almost, I'm, I was talking to somebody recently about like a, a game show you know, that had, you know, substance to it. Like I was sort of putting ideas together, like fake news and game. There's all kinds of stuff out there that could be interesting. You know, some new Jeopardy or I don't know what. I don't know. I'm I'm not smart and creative enough to be able to predict what people are going to watch. I can sort of tell whether I fit in it or not. Yeah. So as these things come along, I just sort of look at them and evaluate if they. I think they're worthwhile. We did that. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember this at all. We did a pilot for a radio. You and I did? Yeah. Do you remember this? Tell me. Um, we did a pilot? Yep. We did... Uh, you. I think you ended up doing the show with Christy Alley. Christy Alley? What are you talking about? I'm, I'm being dead serious. I never met Christy Alley. I, I want to say that I'm being... I, Unless I'm totally losing my mind, which yeah, is possible. So we did Loveline. Yeah. Like, uh, probably... To 10 years ago, 8 yeah. years ago? Yeah, yeah. And you were looking to find a replacement. I think Daniel Tosh auditioned yeah. for it. Yeah, no, Joel, Joel McHale. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kyle Cease. Maybe. I just remember there were a bunch of people. Yeah. yeah. And then we did something, and I, but you guys had already cast it. Okay. Uh, Striker. Striker ended up doing it, yeah. Yeah, and you already cast it. And then someone said, well, we should get you guys together. So we went in. Who was running the radio station then? Was it Norm Pattis? Yep. Norm Pattis came in and... Me and you did an afternoon drive time yes. audition. Like, yes, I uh, kind of remember this. Yeah, and so we fielded questions, and I was horrifically not the right fit. <laughs> like, because it was, I think it was patterned towards women. Okay, and so we're like, all right, we got to call her. I, I think I, I also, I remember there was a period where they were trying different people with me. Yeah, and we tried uh, Arthel, Arthel Neville, Arthel William. Wait, no, Arthel. Wait, what's her name? I don't even know who that is. No, what's her name? She used to do a CNN show. Black woman, nice, really, really sharp, nice woman. Anyway, I thought I you remember. ended up doing it with Christy Alley. I'm not even joking. I know, I met Christy Alley. And so so we did the thing, and the caller was like, uh, my my husband. It was probably fake callers, too. It was fake callers. That makes it the worst. And they're like, my husband oh. is uh, yeah. is, and I are having some marital problems, 
we just had a baby and you were being very clinical. And I went, yeah. how much weight did you gain? And she was like, excuse me? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it wasn't a real caller. She's like, I had no answer for it. Yeah, I do remember this whole period where they were and trying people. Norm Pattis was behind me uh. and you were looking over my shoulder <laughs> going like this. <laughs> I was like, huh? Huh? <laughs> that, I don't think that show ever happened. Oh, really? Bottom line, yeah. It was I, a drive time. I did some sort of drive time AM thing by myself. But yeah, that was that was quickly gone too. Yeah, so Funny. you don't know what you want to do. I've got a bunch of things I'm trying to produce that yeah. I'm interested in that, that look really interesting and like they'll make a difference. I'm interested in making a difference. It's all I'm always interested in that. Oh, if see, I can, I'm the exact opposite. See, my, if I can create something that makes a difference, I'm in. But it has to be, you know, the conundrum for me is I know a lot of stuff make a difference. Nobody will watch. So, yeah. so the the conundrum for me is trying to find something that does something good. And people want to watch it. It's hard. Yeah. What do you think? That, what do you think in your career has done the most good? What's the one project you well, think? Well, there, there are three that I knew would have a significant impact. That was Loveline because I already knew that was affecting people's behavior. I yeah. could tell. Uh, teen Mom. I knew that would work. I knew that would decrease teen pregnancy. It uh, did. And there's several academic studies now to pr- prove that. And uh, celebrity rehab. I just want we Bob and I wanted to raise awareness about how tough this thing is, how difficult treatment is, how sick people are, and how to make fun of celebrities with addiction is not funny. Yeah. And so it was that show was very pivotal. Yeah. That show was very pivotal in the way that I think I think a lot of people looked at. It brought up the conversation of like the on the like addiction and interventions, yeah. and that there was, was that whole yeah. period. Yeah. Where you're yeah. like, yep, that was it. Yeah. Because really, what people don't realize it, it was not public discourse. At, at, it wasn't started. at all. Uh-huh. And then that came out, and everyone was like, everyone was talking about it. I mean, that back back when we started, people was like, the addiction. Why don't you just stop, man? What's the big deal? I mean, literally, like, didn't understand what this addiction even was. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Drew, I appreciate you coming over and doing this. I'll do another one. That's so fun. I yeah, talk this to you all day. seamless. Did we um, got everything for Le- Leanne? Do we? I think so. Three Should questions. We, got the yeah, kids we got then. the three questions from Leanne. Uh, yeah, and I just did your podcast with Bob, which is a blast. That was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Good. It was. Uh, you like to keep yours like in an hour? Yeah. Mine will ramble on for three if I don't stop it. Really? Oh yeah, my fans love three-hour podcasts. Really? Oh, well, love. That's really? why. That's why we got to get you on Rogan. Me and you and Rogan. All right. He does three hours too. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Get ready to hunker down. All right. Let's do that. Yeah, but Rogan. I, I, I would have put aside more time if I'd known. No, 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 no. I my I, I did a five-hour podcast with oh, Rogan one time. Oh my god. But it's like it's like in all honesty with Rogan, the conversation starts getting good at an hour and a half. Well, people are always like, "You, Joe Rogan, thinks you're." I, I know I, I've known Joe forever. Yeah, and, Joe doesn't have any no, problems with you. I have no problem with Joe. Joe doesn't have a problem with anyone. If if Joe has a problem with you, he said it out loud. Like he says it, he'll yeah. be like, "No, I don't like that person." Like I, think, not- I think if if he and I have any disagreement at all, by the way, it's a healthy disagreement. It's more on the order of the the complexities of human psychology. You know, his thing is just, "Hey, we're just monkeys that talk." It, it, that's it, and yeah. and everything's pretty. You know, sort of almost categorizable rather than dynamic if that does that make sense uh, we'll find out go talk we'll chat yeah 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 we'll set it up yeah. Yeah. um so check out uh drew and bob all drew's podcasts are all yeah, the, they're dr. all over dr. dates right everything's dr.com drew.com and i'm in development for tv for the next year or two until we find i get some some interesting pe- people that i'm trying to bring on television really that do interesting stuff yeah yeah really psychics no i've got a woman <laughs> that uh 
she's got one of the most popular uh, Instagrams on Instagram, and she does uh, she's a pathology tech and teaches people about autopsies, and she's fantastic. Uh, look, check out check out Nicole and Jemmy on uh, Instagram, and then I've got another group of of this wild group of guys and, and a woman that extract kids from like gangs and take them to treatment for like two years. Yeah, these guys are amazing, and really? they're interesting in themselves. Yeah. That's that's where I find I'm obsessed right now with the all, all the children. This is going to sound tacky, but like that are ignored in this country. Ugh. That like we have the you know these. It seems like everyone's got these special interest marches and protests and Facebook and hashtags. Yeah. And then there's just these like just these kids that aren't getting to see how great life can be. And I just go shit, man. I think we should refocus. Like. You know, the, the most important thing is some kid is just sitting in a room by himself. With one mom that's one out. positive relationship outside the home, sustained over years, can change the trajectory of a child like that. Really, one positive relationship with an adult. I'm just trying to raise my two to be. Normal. I know, I know. I'm gonna go have a talk with them right now about <laughs> drugs. <laughs> True, I appreciate you doing this. Right. Thank you so much. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.